Welcome to the Emerging Biotech Leader, where we help biotech leaders maximize the value of their therapeutics from translational development to product launch. We're your hosts. I'm Kim Kushner. And I'm Ramin Farhood. We are here to help you navigate the pitfalls of the biotech industry and illuminate the path forward. Welcome to today's episode of the Emerging Biotech Leader. Today, we're so excited to welcome our colleague, Dr. Hutan Katami, who is going to be talking to us about the role of the Chief Medical Officer. In our last episode, we had Dr. Chris Morbido of Astria Therapeutics talking about his role and his transition from being a practicing physician to big pharma to biotech and playing the role of the Chief Medical Officer and all of the challenges and excitement that comes with that role. Hutan has similarly been in in multiple of these positions and has had great experience himself, as well as with a number of different clients playing these roles. And so really excited to hear his experiences and and talk a little bit more about this topic today. Hutan, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you. Of course. So to start us out, we really wanted to dig into a theme that Chris really started with, and I think you've had a lot of really great experiences with as well, which is the transition from big pharma to biotech in these senior leadership roles, really as a, a physician leader, which is a really unique role in these organizations. Can you talk to us a little bit about your experience making that transition, as well as some of the challenges that you see people face um, when they're making that transition themselves? Yeah, absolutely. I really, uh, listening to uh, Chris's uh uh, feedback, it, I, it really resonated with me because uh, what you see a lot at, in large organizations is there's kind of a department for everything and there are one or more people who can help you answer and kind of digest the options and bring it to you re- regardless of what the whatever the question is. Um, whereas in a much smaller biotech, in a, in a nascent or a growing organization, you're kind of it. You're the you're expected to have all the answers or come up with all the answers. So really the pressure is on the, um, and everyone is looking up to you, uh, your leadership colleagues, the CEO and board and, uh, and all the other functional leads really need you to have the answers and quickly, usually <laughs> often urgently. So it is really that tightrope that you're walking often on high heels and, um, and it's that constant balancing act and, and, and that kind of pressure. So it's really, I really experienced it as an interim CMO myself um, uh, at, a, uh, at a new biotech where we had very few functions internally and everything was an external consultant, was supported by external consultants um, and really with a number of client partners uh, in my current role. And maybe adding on to that point on, you know, balancing on the tight tightrope, as a physician leader in this organization or in any organization, in particular in biotech, when there's a chance you might be the only physician in the company at a given point in time, or maybe in N of two at most in many circumstances, can you speak a little bit about the experience of trying to fill the gaps, whether it's being the physician voice to patients or the physician voice to KOLs or the physician voice to the study design? There seems to be so many different directions that a physician leader gets pulled and being, um, to your point, considered the expert in all of those things up front where you might've come from big pharma where you were very um, functionally focused or if you're coming directly out of practice, you are very specific patient focused. How do you make that leap and, and try to fill all of these gaps when really you're one person? And, and Ramin, I would love your, your perspective on these things as well from um, your own experiences. So my, my feedback is 
that is probably the toughest role of the CMO where, you know, you are, you're the face of the organization, you're the face of what the company is trying to do and deliver for the patients. Um, if things don't, don't go well, or you don't have the answers that, that, you know, the study results aren't what you expect, really managing expectations internally and externally, uh, both from, first of all, from the patient and physician community, then there's also the investor community and analysts and making sure you're absolutely on message. There are points where, you know, your CEO, your board really wants to stick to a particularly positive message and, you know, having to make sure that that's compliant, all of those complexities. So you're really like in those situations, it's, it's even more difficult. But bottom line, especially as a physician, you want to help patients. You really, you, we are all in these jobs. And Chris really highlighted this where we want, we are here because we want to have the most positive impact for patients. And when you don't, when, when you don't necessarily have the most positive answer or the most positive solution, that makes it even more difficult. So, so that tightrope is, is just even narrower when you're talking about key decision points. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, I think one of the, one of the aspects also of the CMO role that's, uh, been particularly, uh, kind of revealing for me is, it is a lonely role and you often don't really have a real thought partner to, I mean, there could be, you could have, of course, consultants to ask a specific scientific question from, but a thought partner to really help you solve, narrow down the options, solve, solve complex puzzles and sub, and or someone to really help you execute with, you know, a key piece of it because the CMO role is, it's kind of defined as something different for every, everyone and expectations are all uh, diverse. So I think having someone to, to really rely on or to, uh, uh, to partner with, I think it is a really key gap, I think, and a key challenge of the, of the role. So Chris didn't exactly uh, highlight this point, but I really see that as a, as a fundamental sort of aspect of the role that, that could be better. Well, I fully agree, Hutan, with you. No, I fully agree. I think you may not have the resources as, as a CMO, especially for the smaller companies, the biotech companies, but you have to be resourceful, right? And I think that's the kind of the mindset it takes. There are plenty of experts out there that may not even be in your company, but you can tap into. There may be previous CMOs at other companies that you are networking with. Um, uh, it could be uh, you know, friends that know somebody that have been working with the investors that you want to reach out to and making sure that you understand where they're coming from and what their perspective is. You obviously definitely have to get very close to and, and get advice and be open to, by the way, getting advice from advocacy groups, other organizations that can help you out. There are obviously consultant firms out there that have been there, done that. They have worked with many different clients and they can provide also um, good advice as well. I think overall, you kind of have to keep an open mind uh, and open to getting advice, knowing and feeling comfortable with what you know and understanding that there's a lot that you don't know, and but the answer is out there and trying to look for it and making sure that's something that you bring internally. Yeah, one more thing I would add is I would say kind of another key challenge in the role um, that I've faced often and I've seen colleagues face often is just cutting through the noise. There's a lot of information coming at you all the time, advisors, internal colleagues, data, CEO board, whatever. And like, what do I do with it? What is going to be my 
bottom line decision answer that I can live with. I can really support it in the patient physician community. I really believe in this answer. So really boiling it down is, gosh, the toughest. It's like the biggest joy and the toughest thing anyone has to do. And how do you do that, Hutan? How do you prioritize? I mean, everything happening all at the same time. Uh, how do you prioritize those? How do you become more selective on where do you put your energy and your focus and cut through that noise? What are two or three things that comes to your mind? Uh, prayer, meditation, uh, <laughs> you and I were talking about. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it is. I mean, it's obviously it depends on what the question is, but, uh, but really, um, I think it comes down to, of course, scientific knowledge, boiling down the data. Okay. What is this telling me? Um, and also, as you just said this earlier, knowing what you don't know, so really boiling it down into pieces, small enough pieces to say, okay, what can I fully support and accept in whatever conclusion you're trying to make um, or statement you want to make? And where is, what is the uncertainty? And then where can I take it? Do I need advice from external uh, an external uh, expert? Or can I simply state it as, as an uncertain point? So really boiling it down to two or three elements where you can say, this is what I know, this is what I don't know, and then depending on the context, uh, sort of managing it. So you have to boil it, break it into smaller pieces of the puzzle. I really appreciate that point, Hutan. And I also want to build on something that Chris brought up when we talked about what makes a really successful CMO. And I would love for both of you to opine on this a little bit. He brought up two key points, that a successful CMO needs to have learning agility and grit. And so learning agility in that you don't need to be the subject matter expert on this exact disease state at any given point in time. You need to be able to be a really quick study and willing to dive right in and roll up your sleeves, learn everything you possibly can. Be humble in how you engage with the community, the KOLs and the patients, listen actively to what they're saying and really um, digest that into something that's really meaningful for your organization, your program, the business, how it translates and really be willing on the grit side to do the work. It's doing the work of learning. It's doing the work of translating it. It's doing the work of connecting all of these critical pieces within the business internally, as well as bridging to the external community, whether it's the board, investors, KOLs, patients, but also bridging to your commercial colleagues and bridging to your other R&D colleagues, the CSO, marketing and other functions internally. So would love your thoughts on, on that. I, I thought it was an incredibly important point that Chris brought up and is absolutely some of the evolution of the CMO role that we've been seeing quite a bit of. Yeah, and uh, I fully concurred with what he said. And so I think clearly that the act of active listening, so the emotional intelligence, you know, part of that, you know, that notion is you're, you're, you're actively listening and you're really taking that information in as opposed to having heard something and you just sort of dismiss it. Uh, but again, what do you do with the information if there's, if it doesn't quite fit in? So, so I think part of the role of the CMO is, and part of the active listening is explaining yourself. So really, if an idea that has a lot of commercial impact or whatever impact and, but it doesn't quite, it cannot be achieved at this point in the study design, really communicating your reasons wh why and, and really explaining yourself and, and going through the thought, thought process. As opposed to say, as opposed to saying, "Hey, this is my decision. Take it or leave it." Bye. You know. So, so there is that aspect of that. Um, and and it, once again, I mean, I think it's it is really narrowing the 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 kind of 
questions into what what is what does what has clear answers and what what is more more gray areas and really helping yourself and helping your colleagues in gray areas. So I think that's that's really a key art of the role. I also think you have to be an excellent communicator. Uh, which part of it is Hutan, as you mentioned, was you have to be an active listener, obviously. Um, but you have to be able to communicate clearly, precisely, accurately to multiple different stakeholders, right? And each one of these stakeholders, they'll require a slightly different type of communication to making sure that what you're trying to get across is actually resonates with them. They're not all the same, whether you're talking to the investors, KOLs, patients, patient advocacy, internal folks, external folks. And that's an area that I think as a CMO that actually you can really uh, work on and get a lot better at if that's not necessarily something that is in your style. And even Chris talked about that. He's very innovative person. And now he had to, it was hard for him at the beginning. He had to work on it and get better and better at it. And now he's actually enjoys it and looks forward to it. Uh, and this applies honestly to any any position, but especially for the real CMO. And I know offline we were joking about that this is a chief everything officer, uh, right? Kind of a kind of a role. And I think that communication skills to really at a different level, at an excellent level, is going to be key to be able to um, kind of navigate through tough waters um, in your role. Yeah, and one one thing that. I've really been able to do and really uh, enjoyed, uh, particularly in my in my role at SSI, in, in, in partnering with a number of CMOs, is really, again, narrowing down the options. It's really kind of scenario planning. It becomes a little bit mechanical, but again, when you have so much competing and complex sets of information, and you're really trying to come up with, okay, what is going to be our key areas of, say, for pivotal study design? Um, <clears throat> of course, the CMO is very capable uh, in, in, in doing that, but what can really be helpful in bringing the team along and what I've been able to work on with, with my colleagues is really say, okay, we have infinite number of scenarios, but can we, can we boil it down to three or four and really building that infrastructure a little bit to, to have more, more meaningful and more helpful decision trees and discussions. So I think that's something that I do think is also beneficial. Again, some organizations, some groups really have that well worked out. Uh, doesn't have to be big or large. Uh, sorry, it doesn't, regardless of the size of the company. But uh, that's often a toolkit that I think is really missing from most leadership roles, whether it's CMO or head of medical affairs or CEO. So I think that's something that uh, uh, I I really enjoyed helping out. Absolutely. One thing that we didn't necessarily touch on yet, but I think was an important is an important point for us to consider relative to what makes a CMO successful. We talked a little bit about the attributes and um, the personal traits as well as how they operate within the organization. But what about the organizational structure? We've seen so many different permutations of a CMO role. And even when we talk about what SSI does, we talk about the fact that we support chief medical officers and the permutations of what their office looks like is very different from organization to organization. And sometimes they're reporting directly to a CEO. Sometimes they're reporting to a president of R&D. Sometimes there's you know other versions of a matrix structure. Do you have thoughts on you know, what these different permutations lend or the benefits of the different ones? I, I think the 
the summary point that we've come to in the past, whether it's right or wrong, is that there's no such thing as an optimal. There's different paths for different organizations for different reasons at different stages, which is certainly reasonable. Um, but what makes some of those better than others in certain circumstances? That's such a great question, a very tough question. But my experience has been in within companies and in uh, working with client companies is that it really, as you said, there is no fixed organization that makes sense at all times. And it really is, instead of a quicksand, it's sort of a slow sand where the needs constantly change. You, it's, and it's also really hard to predict what's going to change when. Uh, and not just about the program failing or something launching, but it's really, it's just skill sets are different. The needs, the competitive landscape can be different. So that is, it is a really, really tough thing to predict. And then of course you have to, you, you don't have to have a plan to bring to the CEO and the board. So it is a very inflexible sort of situation usually that you have to have a org plan. You have these functional heads and whatever, and these departments, and they're going to be delivering, but the needs are going to be constantly either outgrowing or, or, or maybe there's over-resource. So I think that's one thing that having sort of a, the ideal would be having a modular or a evolving uh, support structure where you have key functions that are constant and then supporting functions that sort of uh, modulate and come and go. Yeah, it's a great point. I think in my own experience, I've seen the CMO to president of R&D role in particular work really well when the company has a really robust discovery platform or a lot in the pipeline that's coming up that the scientific basis is growing substantially. There's a lot of investor work relative to the broader pipeline where the CMO can really focus on how do I most effectively develop our lead assets to make sure they're successful both in clinic and beyond, and they can bifurcate their roles in a meaningful way to think about what's the investor story, what's the platform, what's the macro environment versus how do I make these assets successful? Because those are, are two huge roles that one person can't potentially play. But when we're a little bit more narrow, it's tough to it's tough to separate those in a more meaningful way. Absolutely. I mean, as a deputy CMO for a client company, that was really one of the biggest challenges that we were together working and trying to solve because really the the organization was excessively challenged in the sense that you had multiple programs that were in full execution modes, you know, major regulatory interactions, major uh, decision trees on Pivotal, et cetera. And then also you had 20 plus other programs that were, you know, some, some stage of early development, taking up a lot of time and attention, but far from generating values. So how does the CMO and development and all of the organization, how do you prioritize that in a meaningful way? Um, and yeah, so I think that that really is, and also there's quite often in many organizations, you have sudden programs that are licensed in and you know major resource needs and there's no one there, no one else there to do that, that, that ramp up. So that's the shifting sand that, that I was referring to, that it's really kind of almost always there for, for the executive organization. I think the major point that both of you are hitting on is that there's no one size that fits all. It's going gonna, it's gonna to depend on a lot of different, different factors. But the most important part is that what you're bringing up is that the voice of the CMO, CMO is a very strategic role. 
right? And a very forward-looking role. So the voice, that perspective must be heard and there must be a a place for it that that voice can be shared and have a conversation around and discussed. And that's, that's the part that sometimes gets a little bit of a challenging with different type of reporting structures or reporting lines uh, that may not be optimal. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to you have to make sure that your voice is heard and your perspective is there for discussion, whether it's with internal folks or externally. But that's that's really a key, key, um, I think, area that uh, very important. Agreed. So last question here for you, Hutan. would love to know your thoughts on if you had one piece of advice for somebody who's taking on their first role as a CMO or they're making the jump from big pharma to biotech, what's the one piece of advice you would give them as they take on this adventure? Wow. Um, put on your heels to walk on that tightrope. <laughs> uh, no, so in seriousness, it's really activating your network and being get ready, kind of getting ready to accept what you don't know and get help is sort of really, because that's almost like 20 times a day, you're facing some level of that kind of question. Uh, having to have the answer, you don't necessarily have all the answers and you have to get boil it down quickly. So I would say really being prepared to to, to have that that mindset and then really thinking, perhaps even thinking ahead or being prepared to have a network of who you would go to if you had certain key areas of questions. Absolutely. This has been a great discussion. Hutan, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it and looking forward to having you back another time soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hutan. Thanks for tuning in to the Emerging Biotech Leader, an SSI strategy podcast. Join us each month for more conversations with biotech leaders. If you'd like to help navigating the complexities of biotech, reach out to our team at SSIStrategy.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review.